welcome back to another podcast with The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Today we are looking at another, we are looking at figure language again, but this time in a more analytical sense than um, just blatantly stating it. Um, so perhaps we should just jump right into it. There's some quotes and I think the author uses some really different um, uses to try and there's the basic imagery uh, that he gives using it but then there's also he also uses figurative language to dig a little bit deeper into that um, into those ideas so something and he uses really unique figurative language there's obviously like the simple ones like just basic similes and metaphors but there's also some interesting ones my particular favorite that sets a lot of the scenery and vivid imagery is um this quote the look of an ambitious architectural breed of lichen that was trying to cover as many acres as it could describing this really old building of the university that he's going to and it's kind of describing how this building had been really old and had been developed and it was like uh like really confusing and really big and kind of been uh developed mishappenly but you can tell that it's old because it's describing the lichen that's on the look and I think it's very I mean I feel like we all know what that looks like you know like old rocks really old buildings that just kind of like clings to the stone and makes it give the weird colors and the different things it makes you think of what's the stone what stonehenge would look like it's like on these old buildings and i think that really helps convey the idea of the university as a whole as being really old and otherworldly and like almost from another time just because of how old it is um next and then my next favorite imagery quote that he uses is he says it felt like three years in waterside this quote is from when uh quoth has finally gotten his hand on a loot after three years of three years after his parents have died three years of living in the slums homeless basically fighting for his life in a place called waters uh waterside and it kind of he's an amazing uh loot player i don't know lutist i don't know but um instead of just paying like a jaunty tune that he might have memorized it he's learned to just to feel to play emotions what he feels what he can see and he just plays utter sadness and it's being described as these three years in waterside which Three years homeless, away from your family, basically grief-stricken, surviving on your own, having to fend for yourself in the cold and the the rain and everything. I feel like it's a really good comparison that really makes you feel the sadness that this music has, because obviously you can't hear the music from the, physically hear the music from the book, but this makes you, like feel as if you can hear the music. Um, 
the next quote that I'll talk about, it's not the imagery like we saw in the last few ones, but it's more of, it's a little bit of a metaphor, but he's using it to describe his relationship with this teacher that this teacher is doing. So he says, plainly said, he was giving me enough rope to hang myself with. Apparently he didn't realize that once a noose is tied, it will fit one neck as easily as the other. In this context, his teacher, his haunty professor, thinks that he doesn't know anything and has set him up as what he thinks is to fail, but little does he know that Quoth actually does know what he's talking about and he's gonna uh, blow them all away with his knowledge in the area and... Basically, he's saying that he's going to embarrass... It's a little bit of foreshadowing to how he's going to embarrass his teacher monumentally. But also, it's that idiom a little bit. He's given him a rope to hang himself with to tie his own noose, basically. But that noose is... He's tying the noose for... Maybe not himself, but for the teacher instead um the next quote is also a metaphor but i think the as i said before the author uses these figurative language to really um dig deeper and help you understand the bigger ideas and the bigger concepts that he's trying to pull into the story to make you understand and so in this case for this quote uh it's after Quoth's parents have died and he's trying to it's basically describing the ways that he's coping with this pain and here let me read it it'll make more sense uh it says perhaps the greatest faculty of our mind possess it our minds possess is the ability to cope with pain. Classic thinking teaches us the four doors of the mind, which everyone moves through according to their need. So obviously the brain doesn't have four doors inside of it, four literal doors, but it's saying that you need to cope. There's different things, different pains get hit, hit behind different doors, whether it's just plain forgotten, saved for later, or is actually being processed. But it's basically describing to us what, Quoth could mind could possibly be doing to try and cope with this grief and in his case he kind of puts it to the side because he's immediately sent into this like fight like I have to fend for myself and you have to survive in the wilderness and later a uh, bustling city with no means so I feel like it's explains how he's being how he's coping with that metaphor of the doors in his brain um another story another um quote that digs deeper into those maybe hidden themes is I don't know if this is going to be a large theme throughout the book we we might see where it goes but um it digs deeper into those bigger ideas it says more or less, you have to be a little bit of a liar to tell a story the right way. Too much truth confuses the facts, and too much honesty makes you sound insincere. Obviously, that's a little bit of figurative irony, because 
you have to be a little, um, truth doesn't, shouldn't really confuse the facts, which makes them clearer, and honesty should make you sound sincere, that's usually how it's taken, but it's being told a different way in this book, so why is it being told that way, and I think it's saying that you have to, like, sometimes it has to come across a little bit clearer, and to make things make sense the long way around, it makes sense, and I also think it gives a tiny bit of the sense that we have an unreliable narrator, if you think about it, because he's the one telling the story to the chronicler, so for all we know, these are just tall tales. He could not, we don't know why he would do that, but for all we know, he's lying to tell the story the right way, so that is an interesting outlook that you could take on that, and I feel like it could be a theme throughout the book, Um, whether it's through injustices that happen and or through just regular old happenings the last quote is really interesting I think it's I think I used it for characterization in the characterization podcast but I'll say it again because it's a great use of figurative language but also great use of characterizing quotes and a little bit of foreshadowing because this is in like the I think this is in the prologue so you can't really you don't really know what's going on everything's foreshadowing in the prologue isn't it and this quote says the waystone was his just as the third silence was his this is appropriate as it was the greatest silence of the three wrapping the others inside itself it was deep and wide as autumn's ending it was heavy as the great river smooth stone it was the patient cut flower sound of the man who was waiting to die I think this is really interesting, um, and I think there's definitely there's definitely the similes at the end where it's deep in, the silence was deep it and wide as an autumn ending. It was heavy as a great river smooth stone. It was the patient cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die. I feel like that really um, amplifies at least the last sentence, especially it was the patient cut flower sound of a man waiting to die. It really characterizes Quoth and saying that he's really sad and he's accomplished so much it's just waiting to die just he's patient but just waiting to die and I think that's a really interesting like outlook that it gives us into his character in his very first page basically and yeah I think it's amazing foreshadowing and that is all of the figurative language quote the at least the strongest ones to me there's definitely more in the book but i think those are the ones that best demonstrate the imagery shown and the ways that the author uses it to go dig deeper into those um deep ideas and i hope you guys will be back next week because we will continue reading but and discussing this but this is the end, so goodbye.